women's rights Welcome to episode two of season two from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight in women in IP. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Edvitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. and London. They're the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix magazine. The 2022 Women's IP World can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that many IP conferences are back in person, keep an eye out for hard copies as well. And we are very excited about that. Today is a special treat for me because this is the first time we have a repeat guest. We have Keisha Fleming-Lake, Managing Attorney of Caribbean Trademark Services, back on the podcast. So, Keisha, welcome back. Yes, hi. Thanks for having me. It is truly a pleasure. It's been almost a year since we met on this podcast. As a refresher, please remind us where in the Caribbean you are situated, or your law firm, even if you happen to be in Florida today. Yes. Well, my law firm is situated in Anguilla. That's Anguilla. That's uh, in the British Caribbean. And how is the weather today in Anguilla? Do you know? Oh, well, I spoke to someone at my office because I'm not there currently. And I was told that it's, you know, as usual, fabulous weather. It's warm, sunny, and uh, bright. The sun is shining. So Anguilla typically has really, really good weather. Sometimes it gets very hot in the summer. And are you finding yourself in um, a cooler climate in, in Florida or no? Well, Florida's weather is much similar to what we have in Anguilla, except for the humidity. Anguilla does not have the heavy, thick humidity that Florida has. So in the uh, winter months, I would say around December, January, February, Florida may have some days that are cooler than Anguilla. But overall, it's, it's kind of the similar weather minus the humidity. I know for me, I try to avoid Florida in like the August time period, or I will be stocking up on additional gel for the hair due to that humidity there. Um, Love the Caribbean. The waters are so beautiful there. Uh, Has a lot changed for you and for your firm in the past year since we last spoke? Uh, Well, we've... There hasn't been really significant changes, you know, like most of everyone, we're trying to navigate through the changes that were brought on through uh, COVID and, you know, everything else that's been happening, but we've mostly been consistent in terms of our service that we're delivering, consistent in terms of our structure. Um, Again, the the market seemed to be reopening in terms of we're seeing an influx of new business, new inquiries. So we are hopeful that that's a sign that things are 
getting closer back to some normalcy. But in terms of um, major changes, it's just kind of trying to be consistent and grow and get the word out there that we're still offering the services that we've been offering before. You know, as far as, you know, changes as we kind of, we transition to a, a new stage of COVID, um, I would say at least in here uh, in the States, Caribbean, uh, in many places where uh, where it, it, you look around and it's almost like you're wondering COVID, what COVID? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the traffic is back um, worse than I even remember it. Uh, so it is interesting to see um, people again in conferences, you know, are people wearing masks much fewer than much fewer than than before, which was kind of the, you know, part, you know, just part of your outfit, part of every pocket having a mask mm-hmm. in there. So you in there, so you have it on hand. And it does seem it seems different here in many places here um, in this hemisphere in the Caribbean. Is that is that the same? Well, you know, I think the Caribbean was a lot, especially Anguilla, was a lot later in terms of dealing with COVID in the sense that the country shut down immediately when the outbreak uh, started in, I think it was 2020, around March, and it remained mm-hmm. pretty strict in terms of the border control for uh, uh, you know quite a while, several months. And so that allowed the country to remain COVID-free for some time. However, once the border reopened and there was more travel in between and and changing protocols for entry, you see an increase in the COVID numbers. Nothing compared to the rest of the world, but for the size of the country, was still quite quite significant. And so, what I see is you know Anguilla being further behind in terms of actually dealing with COVID. So there are still some um, restrictions in place. There's still some. Uh, protocols, you know, people are still wearing the mask, people are still social distancing, people are very conscious. Of course, it's a smaller community. So if there's a spread, there's a a higher chance of it kind of spreading through the island faster than you would in the US where there's a larger population. Um, So you have that. And then in terms of traveling, they finally recently lifted some of the stricter, very stringent protocols to allow freer travel. There's still the testing requirement. Um, there's still a vaccination requirement. So you you see COVID kind of um, leaving the, the, the practice of what life was during the middle of the pandemic leaving, but there's still some signs of it more so than you do see in the U.S. So it seems to me, from what you've said, that there was a lag, like COVID hit you later. Um, and so, and you're still dealing as we are actually here, there and everywhere um, with the, the long, longer term business effects of COVID. So I'm looking at your, your article that's in the current edition of the women's IP world annual uh, where we are in 2022 with the Caribbean trademark practice and as Caribbean trademark practitioners. And you have a section in the article I found really interesting um, in particular was talking about trademark practice in the Caribbean region and how it continues to be plagued by disruptions and, and challenges. I mean, what are the particular challenges that the Caribbean is seeing as a, as an effect of COVID? Well, the Caribbean practice, uh, trademark practice in, in most, especially in the smaller jurisdictions, is a manual practice. And in that manual practice, it requires 
original signatures, original documents, notarization, apostille on certain documents, just so that the examiners can authenticate the validity of some of the documents that are coming from around the world, you know? And so Mm -hmm. one of the things with the shutdown, the worldwide shutdown, there was the lack of ability to have that face-to-face interaction for the notary, for the ability to get original documents because a lot of places were closed down. And so that created a delay in uh, businesses and brand owners being able to really meet the filing requirements. That in itself created in a backlog in practice because there was then this re- uh, request for an extension of time to meet some of the deadlines, to meet some of the filing requirements because of the documentary requirements that the Caribbean specifically requ- required. So when COVID hit, a lot of the world switched to this online operating system, virtual world, which was convenient and very helpful. And it, in my mind, it helped to develop a growth in that virtual practice. But in the Caribbean, where it's a manual jurisdiction, this was not very, the transition wasn't as easy and as and not as acceptable. And even in some of the jurisdictions where the registries allowed some virtual practice, whether it be by email or uploading the documents by other means, they still required you to send the originals later on for processing. And so when there were delivery delays, you know, from uh, the courier services, this caused for the delay. And now a lot of times, you know, in these jurisdictions, they're already, they're severely backlogged on the normal circumstances. So with the onset of COVID, this inability to meet the requirements that led to further delays would lead to an even more extensive backlog. Um, a lot of that, you know, you see countries like Trinidad and that have implemented really effective systems that were temporary that in some countries are turning permanent. Uh, Antigua, for example, had allowed for a while for there to be email filing, something that was never allowed before. Um, So you see some changes to close the gap in the backlog, but you still feel it. Even two, what are we, two or three years into COVID, you're still kind of feeling the effects of some of the late filing some of the inability to get the notary documents out there. So definitely that's one of the, the impacts that we're still seeing from COVID. So prior to COVID, I was just curious, how long does it would it typically take from filing to registration of a trademark? It depends on the island. You know, there's so many little islands and it absolutely depends on the island. Um, Anguilla, there would be maybe I would say... Um, Six, six, six to nine months, and with the shutdowns and the uh, inability to do anything online, you know, once the office was closed, it meant nothing was happening. There was not a, a virtual option for Anguilla for sure. They would be flexible on the due dates, but once it was closed, it was closed. So with that delay, you saw the six-month window in some instances going to a year. And then if there was an, the office was open and open for about a month or two because there were these intermittent shutdowns that were happening through Anguilla during the COVID period, then you would have, you know, an application that would have been filed right before they closed, put on hold, and one that was filed 30 days later might have processed. So it just depended on the island and depend on the circumstances. Um, so you really don't have, it. what I advise my clients is that we don't know what the processing time will be. 
So we try to get it as, as perfect as possible to, pre- to prevent any delays. So if there's a request for a specific uh, document or a requirement for filing, let's do it. Let's do what it takes to get it done. Because issuing the office action or issuing some kind of deficiency notice you know, makes it even longer and you don't even know when that may be issued. Right. So in some cases where you might, the, the client is really pushing to get something on file quickly. Okay. We'll deal with X, Y, and Z later. You're like, well, now the recommendation would be let's, it's worth the extra few days or a week to file because it actually might save months um, dealing with the deficiencies later on. Yes. That, that's my um, my point of view because, mm-hmm. you know, if you get it right, you can deal with it. But if you have to wait to deal with the deficiency notice and then you have further delays, there are shipping issues still going on, then, you know, you can turn something that can be processed in the six months into more than a year. Prior to the pandemic, we had, um, I would say, three to four months approximately from the filing of an application to the examiner assignment. So then you actually had a human being assigned to your case. Now um, it's six months at least um, from what I'm seeing. And it's not related to anything manual. It really has to do with an uptick in creation and uptick in uh, innovation and filings, creativity, essentially. Are you seeing, um, even though with with these delays, are you seeing any um, increased filing numbers? Well, what we're seeing is, yes, you're correct. You're seeing some new filings, which is adding to what was already there. Um, so I think it's a combination of the two, to be honest. I think it's a combination of the fact that we are still very manual. Not all islands, mind. There's some of the larger islands that are electronic. And you have a combination of these new applications, new, new filings, so both of them being combined, and then you still have the existing backlog. So you you know you still you have all of that, and then the way the practice is still being done, there's still the COVID protocols that are in place in some jurisdictions, and and Guilla was not a very very strict uh, in terms of the way business was being done because the like I said the island was closed for a long period, so it did not have the COVID cases on the ground. It was only when you when they opened at the very end and there was an uptick and there were more COVID cases, then the the ability to visit the registry with the flexibility that you had prior to COVID, you know, those restrictions came into place. So an actual practice on the ground was, you know, kind of normal for a while, even during COVID. But the ability to get the filings done, to get the documents in, and to keep up with that is where you had, where you saw a cause for delay. And so you want to mitigate, you know, further delay as much as you can by having your application, you know, in compliance as much as possible with, you know, with the requirements, um, because it's a bit of a double whammy right now. Um, you know, you've got, you've got the COVID delay, you, you know, uptick in um, creativity from, you know, so more filings. So, um, you know, you just do the, do the best you can, but, you know, it, it it's a good advisory for those that are contemplating filing in Caribbean to don't, don't wait, don't, don't delay on your end. Go ahead, send instructions, get this, get these applications ready and filed. Yeah. And I also recommend, you know, finding out 
as much as you can from the registry if there are any changes that occur during COVID, any, you know, any um, requirements that might have been waived permanently, and so that you know what you're dealing with prior to filing. So I encourage, you know, my, my clients to, um, you know, give us that window that we can make sure that we can check with the registry and find out so that we can make sure we get it right. Exactly. Exactly. So at this point, we're going to take a quick break and we'll talk uh, more about uh, your article when we're back. The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law and innovation globally. Our annual publication has attracted a cocktail of, or inspiring, knowledgeable women working at all levels in IP and innovation from all over the world. We are proud to share our platform and profile many inspirational women by sharing their industry knowledge through engaging thought leadership literature, stories and personal experiences. If you would like to be part of the Women's IP World Annual 2023, then please make sure to contact a member of our team to reserve your profile, editorial or branding packages by calling plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at womensipworld.com. Reserve your position in the Women's IP World Annual 2023 before the 1st of June to qualify for a 30% discount on our profile and editorial packages. The Women's IP World Annual 2023 Profiles, Articles, Rankings, Experience, Achievements, Accolades, plus so much more. Welcome back. Um, another change since we spoke last seems to be uh, at least some of the Caribbean islands contracting um, as parties to the Madrid Protocol. Um, can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, prior to COVID, there was uh, some discussion. You know, it was always an issue. It was always something that was being mentioned through the Caribbean, the expansion of, of islands contracting to the um, Madrid Protocol. And during covid we had Trinidad and Tobago that uh, contracted first and then Jamaica. Well, we, you know, we have a saying through the smaller islands that once Trinidad, once Jamaica or Trinidad signs on, then you're going to see an even rapid, more rapid spread through the smaller islands kind of following suit. So it has happened. Jamaica signed on first, no, Trinidad first and then Jamaica so now we, you know, we're kind of waiting to see islands like Barbados. We're watching there. Antigua's already signed on. And so the smaller islands, St. Kitts, Nevis, Angola, Dominica, kind of just looking and seeing and waiting to see what's happening. But we definitely anticipate that we'll see more islands signing on once those bigger islands have signed on. Like a domino effect. <laughs> yes, yes, it usually is. It usually is. It's with new laws and, and policies and regulations to the Caribbean, you know, those are the trendsetters. The bigger islands kind of do it first and we see how it works. And then although in this case Antigua was signed on for a while before in terms of the British Caribbean jurisdictions, Antigua was signed on for a while and then Jamaica and Trinidad. But Jamaica and Trinidad was not without resistance. So, you know, but eventually it happened. Yeah, and for for some for some jurisdictions, and you know the Madrid Protocol has been around for a long time now. I mean, just it, it, from it from its inception, and you know it was kind of like the you know 
it was like that bad word that can really change mm-hmm. the mood of a group conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and then for others, you know, ve- you know, ve- very different um, viewpoint on it. It sounds like in the Caribbean um, coming into it later in the game, I, it's like still the same kind of conversation that we were having uh, with various countries in particular, um, you know, Latin America, uh, since we do obviously with the close proximity Latin American countries were coming in later and later in the game and many still haven't um, become contracting members. And when I used to attend a SIPI, um, you know, pre COVID and when, when these issues really sparked um, very interesting conversations about the pros and cons and the Caribbean seems like they're now they're facing this and um, which ones are you, already there are so many that ha- that are contracting um, and also kind of like a, you know, like a FOMO, you know, like who's going to be joining, you know, because they don't want to for the fear of missing out on being yes. a part of the collective. So. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, we're in that watch and wait phase. We know that definitely there are going to be more islands, but we have to wait and see. That's right. And we, we wait and we see, and it seems um, there's just a lot of transition uh, right now in, in the Caribbean, in a lot of places, um, Caribbean included. And the going from um, manual to online will really change, will really change filing as, as it's been, as it's been known historically by its practitioners. Yes, um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those changes that I think will be a welcome change for most practitioners because it's easier, it's more convenient, it's quicker. Um, but I don't know for the registry in terms of examining and, you know, to be able to determine the authenticity of some of these documents, the validity of them. You know, the the, the, the standard is so strict, some of the islands, it's not just Originals is not just um, having it notarized or having the seal. It's the consistency, you know. Uh, I I always get clients who you know kind of get upset when I say if you write the word United States and then you send a document that says USA, it's not consistent. And they're like, well, the whole world knows that USA means the United States, but in the Caribbean there is there are still jurisdictions that require you to be absolutely consistent with the period, the comma how you spell out the country name, even though it's a worldwide accepted abbreviation. And some of that, I wonder how that would change when we go to online, because then you, you know, you have a document that's prepared and sent online and you have to input certain information. You have to then be even more vigilant in terms of looking at what you're submitting, because when the examiner gets in front of her, if it's not consistent, they can reject and hold up an entire application for that minor inconsistency. So I don't necessarily think that going online alone without some of these changes, changes and accepted differences and variations that are worldwide would give us the complete change in speed that we're looking for. But in terms of getting a date stamp and a filing, I think it'll help there. Right. And you do mention in your article uh, about the very strict examination standards in the Caribbean. And so will there be with online filing or with trying to catch up, uh, 
like uh, an attempt to relax some where it might be form over substance, you know, like in the example you gave, United States versus USA. And does mm -hmm. it have to be identical when semantically it means the same? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think we will see some of that happening if after you go online for a while and you still face some of the delays that these little variations can cause. Um, but, you know, it's, it's too early to tell. I think right now, if we can get the funding in, um, in some of these registries so that they can switch over to this online platform, then it'll be helpful. It's a good it's a good start to a change that will be very much welcomed. Because, you know, each island is different and Korea back and forth, getting documents to and from the various jurisdictions is also very costly. In addition to the application fee, you have this additional fee of sending the originals. That's right. And in a lot of places, like in the United States, for example, we don't have a lot of those requirements. Um, you know, notary is not typically something we need uh, here to prove veracity that's really taken up if it's challenged in, in a litigation, uh, not, not really the examiner's responsibility or the party's um, yeah. for that matter um, during the application process. So it's, it's very interesting, the high level of um, scrutiny, I guess, on, mm -hmm. on authenticity and those sort of things, which are, of course, very important. I, I feel like in the U.S. system, it's more assumed that it is and yeah. less uh, challenged later on. I was going to say it's a balance between, you know, it's a slight balance between looking at it as a, um, a negative versus, you know, positive, because really it's a good practice generally to have, you know, the originals and the documents that you can validate easily, easier. And so, you know, you know, it's, it's a lower risk of fraud, but then you have a delay that uh, can also be costly. So it's, it's just a fine line and it's a very good balance that needs to be struck. Well, I recommend this article to the listeners. Um, it can be found in the latest edition of the annual. It's pages 22 and 23. And I want to thank Keisha very much for joining me again on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to connect with you again, especially after so much time. And to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me again. It was a great pleasure. Mine too. The women's You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast. Hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.